0: Good morning. As we gather on this Tuesday in our 20th week together, we continue in our studies of Ezekiel and Matthew. Just a quick reminder in Ezekiel's great work, it was subdivided into these these beautiful five sections, this prophecy of Ezekiel. We're in the third section today, this prophecy against other nations. And he's speaking as we pick up with the prince of Tyre. He says he was a a throne in the sea. That's because at the time of Ezekiel's prophecy, we know these two cities from last weekend's Gospel. That's where Jesus had gone to the region of Tyre and Sidon. or Sidon. Tyre, in the time of Ezekiel's telling, Tyre, Tyre, was actually an island. And it wasn't until the year 330 BC when Alexander the Great built this massive causeway to Tyre that then made it part of the mainland. But at the time of this telling, when Ezekiel's prophesying to the, to the prince, It is in fact an island and that's why the prince says, I sit on God's throne in the heart of the sea. It's true. He built this massive fortress on that island and it was a great seaport, it was a trading port. And so through the trades, through the commerce of the the ships passing that area and region, he did become great of wealth, great of wealth. By your wisdom and intelligence, you have made yourself rich, we're told, filling your treasuries with gold and silver. Through your great wisdom and trading, you heaped up riches for yourself. Your heart is haughty because of your riches. And then Ezekiel goes on to tell him, and yet a sword will pass through your fancy robes. You will be killed here in this great throne of yours. This godlike existence you think you have, you will be killed by foreigners. And that, in fact, does happen. This prince of Tyre does find his demise by invaders years later. They shall thrust you down into the pit. You shall die a violent death in the heart of the sea." And that does happen. Again, our theme from Ezekiel constantly, as it is with all the great prophets, God's will be done. Independent of human or woman, of man or woman's uh, independent thinking, it's God's will be done in all things. Which takes us then to Matthew, our study in Matthew, that the event that's just happened, we pick up in the narrative Uh, in the 23rd verse, then Jesus said to his disciples as you heard us begin, Amen, I say to you, it will be hard for one who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's just because this young man has come to him. You can imagine uh, someone in our contemporary society, an inventor of a great technology, the owner of a patent, owner of great wealth has come to him and has amassed this fortune, amassed this worldly fortune and says to him, Lord, Uh, what is it I must do to enter the kingdom of heaven? I keep all the commandments and then this individual, this rich young man, cites his adherence to the Deuteronomic Code, the Ten Commandments. I honor my parents, I keep the Lord's day, I, 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 I follow the commandments. And Jesus said to him, if you wish to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, Matthew tells us, when the young man heard this statement, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Perhaps there's some lessons we can take from this dialogue, both Ezekiel to the prince and our Lord and Savior to the rich young men, and then immediately to his disciples, who he begins to teach. Money, as we have heard many times does not buy happiness. What, what resources do is give you access. It doesn't give you happiness. What it does do is give you access. And in some, in some way, with that comes freedom, freedom of choice. So you have access to health care. You have access to where you choose to live. You may have you know, access to where you may take a holiday or choose to have a holiday if, you, if you're able to do that. You, you have access to education. You have access to opportunity. That's what wealth gives you: is access to opportunity, but it doesn't guarantee happiness. I used to work in an industry that <clears throat> had individuals within it, based on their position or uh, rights through patent, uh, became uh, wealthy beyond imagination—literally L- billionaires, billionaires—and there were many multimillionaires. But they they weren't necessarily more or less happy than the other co-workers I worked with. They were they had the same frustrations. They get mad at traffic, they had had issues in their family, they had health concerns, they had the same challenges we all have. That money didn't make them happy, it just gave them more access to different opportunities and experiences on the earth. The one access money cannot grant you is access to eternal life. It can't do it. In fact, what we're told from Scripture and what we know from our own study of the Word and and the teaching of our faith is that what it can become is a distraction. So, I wanted to offer this observation. Uh, Wealth nor poverty is a guarantee of eternal life. Neither wealth nor poverty is a guarantee of eternal life. Amassing great worldly wealth does not guarantee one's eternal life. Remaining perpetually poor, when one has the ability not to be a dependent, or especially when one has children and maintains a state of impoverished living and those children suffer from it, that's equally irresponsible. So neither amassing great wealth nor remaining in perpetual poverty, especially when you have your own young ones, That's not honorable. That is being a burden to other people when one need not be a burden. So neither of those extremes guarantee someone a success or eternity to eternal life. What our Lord's trying to teach us when he tells this young man, if you wish to be perfect, go sell what you have, is to recognize where your focus and focus in life and security lies. It's in the saving grace of our Lord. It's in God's promise for the human family. It will be hard for one who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's because sometimes through the amassing of wealth, we become self-reliant. We don't really need to recognize God in our life. Our prayer life can become a bit weakened or in fact ignored because it's our own merits, it's our own intelligence, it's our own doingness that has resulted in our great successes in life. We're sometimes awarded not only financial benefit but through that accumulated wealth, we become uh, advanced in society. We become board members on community boards. We become recognized for our philanthropy. We, we receive a lot of accolades from people telling us how wonderful we are. Oh, you're a great contributor to society. And you start to assume, well, yeah, I guess that's true. I really do do all these wonderful things. And we become then less focused on God less focused on the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and it is only by that grace that we live. And we become in a sense, we find, if, if you will rather, we find substitute gods. Substitute gods. And often the most pernicious substitute god is our own ego where we start to believe, well, it's up to me. I, I've done all these things. God's grace, God's will, God's benevolence is, is less important to me. And I think that we can challenge us this way. Our faith in Christ is not an intellectual ascent. We can amass, along with worldly wealth, one of those measures could be a library, our own personal library of theological texts. We can arrive at an intellectual ascent of a belief in Jesus Christ, but never truly act out in our life, never truly invest in that walk of faith, never walk truly in the trust of Christ, it's always with a, a hand held to the material wealth that says, "Well, if this all backfires on me, I still have my wealth to fall back on. If this walk in faith is not true, then I can rely back on my wealth and faith, or my, my my belief in my wealth, and therefore I'll be secure." And our Lord is telling us, "No, no. It, this is all gave some, some gave all. If you're going to walk in the footsteps of Christ, if we're going to pursue." and follow our Savior, it's all in. Christianity, Catholicism, is not a part-time job. It's all in. We're full-time, 24-7, in our faith. And we need, then, to organize our life this way. You'll hear this coming fall, as we engage with our young ones in Religious Said, you'll hear a consistent theme of what we call the domestic church. You'll hear that emphasized and promoted through our community. You'll hear it from the AMBO. You'll hear it a lot building the domestic church where church life is not something that happens on Sunday. That's a celebration of a community faith. Church life happens at the breakfast table and in the evening and throughout the evening and throughout the day where the parents become the primary catechists and we the church have a big responsibility to equip the parents with the tools to be those catechists so that the pie chart of life that has the day and the week and the month partitioned into various interests, sport, study, community events, chores, those things, that pie chart of life. And for us as adults, the same way, our work life, our spiritual life, our family time, leisure, that pie chart of life at the center sits our walk in faith. It's not one of the segments of the pie chart. It is the pie chart through, in which everything else fits. Our walk in faith fits, or our, our, our various interests in life fit into our walk in faith. The Benedictines have a beautiful uh, orientation to the day. They don't fit prayer into the day. The day fits into prayer. A Benedictine will tell you that. that prayer doesn't fit into their day. The day fits into prayer. And we, as followers of Christ would do well to adopt such an orientation that all that we do, our entire perspective on things is all sh- is shaped by our walk in faith. We begin the morning with thanksgiving that we've arisen and our heart still beats. We end the day on bended knee, ideally with our family if we're together, on bended knee giving thanks for yet another day to draw closer to our Savior. It doesn't mean we eschew vocations of work, it doesn't mean we ignore the advancement of our our family's security. It doesn't mean we don't contribute to our community and society. It doesn't mean that. We have jobs to do. and We do them well. We become professionals. We advance in those careers. Very good. But it's always in the context of this walk in faith. Again, our walk in faith is not a a part-time job. It's a full-time job. As we go forward into this beautiful Tuesday, let's be thankful for the safety and security we have living in this great country Let's be mindful of the benefit of grace we all have being here present in the the sacrifice of the mass. Let's give thanks for our families and the opportunity to be witnesses in our faith, giving all to our faith as a witness to those around us. And let's enter into the liturgy of the Eucharist fully mindful that it's not our merits that allow us to come forward and receive him. The fact that we've been blessed to hear his call, we've responded to it, and we walk forward in faith, believing in the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. Amen.